I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Napalm smells best in the evening it's not worth believing what you heard. Arnold Schwarzenegger bug eyes, a little wizard guy grown out of a man's belly, and a three-breasted lady. Welcome to the I Was There Too episode on Total Recall, a movie I thoroughly enjoy, and a podcast where we talk to people present in the great scenes of cinema history. Today's guest, a man that I thoroughly enjoyed. Part of the benefit of this show is that often you end up meeting these people that just happen to be wonderful human beings. Today's guest was no exception. His name is Ray Baker. He's an accomplished film and theater actor, and he came to me by way of his son, Henry, who happened to come to a live version of another podcast I do called Super Ego and said, hey, you should talk to my dad. And I did. And God saw that it was good. Ray plays the salesman that convinces Arnold Schwarzenegger to use Recall to go on his mind journey. His role is part sleazeball, part charmer, And all around, good time, Charlie, even though that's not his character's name. So enjoy this interview and stick around for the second half of this show for an I Was There Tunes segment in which I give to you a new project that I've been working on with my good friend James Bladen. I hope you'll listen to it. It's something that we've really enjoyed doing, and it's even somewhat related to the subject matter of this podcast. In fact, we would love to have your participation in it if you're so inclined. I'll leave that as a little teaser. Stay tuned after the interview. All right, let's get started. Commence mind vacation. The film, Total Recall, the year 1990. The role, Bob McClain. The actor, Ray Baker. Well, Ray Baker, Total Recall has a body count of 77 people, yet your character somehow survives being choked by Schwarzenegger himself. (laughs) That's no small feat. What was it like being throttled by Arnold? Uh, it, it was actually kind of fun. Um, 
because he 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 never had any acting training that I know of, or or even stunt person training. But he grabbed he grabbed me by the neck, and he had just the right amount of pressure to where I wasn't in pain, but I couldn't get away from him. So oh, it was wow. it was it was great as an actor to uh, to be choked by him, and all I had to do was sort of go, <laughs> you know, and. And then uh, they oh and then they shot him with the tranquilizer so he let me go. And yeah. he's yeah, yeah he's no it. small man. That must have been <laughs> No. Any fear involved at all? No. In fact, he was he was a real sweetheart to to work with. He was he had he has a great sense of humor and all of his jokes were usually self-effacing jokes, you know, really? jokes on himself, you know. Uh-huh. Yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. We shot it in Mexico City. That's right. Yeah. yeah. I, I wondered about that cuz your scene primarily takes place indoors and I didn't know if you had done that on a sound stage somewhere, but you actually were down in Mexico City. Yeah. They have an old movie studio there called Churubusco Studios huh. where they used to make Mexican monster movies. Oh, you're kidding. Yeah, it was uh the, it was one I saw one of them when I was a kid. It was called the the 50-foot monster of Candy Rock. And, and Churubusco it, sounds like a Mexican monster, like a chupacabra or I know, something. Yeah, it, does, it does sound like chupacabra, doesn't it? Yeah. But it, it's a, a, actually a very nice studio. Uh, the lot is, is pretty spacious. And everything, that the, all of those sets of Mars from the movie, the mine, you know, where they're yeah. mining, whatever the hell is they're mining, um, uh, that's all, that was all built there. And my office was built there, too. And yeah. So speaking of acting with Schwarzenegger, I want to go back and hear about how you started in theater, how you got to film, and as a basically a trained classical actor, what it was like to work with an action star and what you get from that. So let's let's go back. How did you get started in acting? Um, I did a play in high school because I wanted to be a jock, but I was just horrible at it. Was so, a specific sport or just any jock? I, w- I wanted to play baseball, uh-huh. and uh, but I just couldn't hit a fastball. So... Uh, yeah, so I tried out for a play, and it wasn't Damn Yankees, was it? No, it <laughs> that, would, that would have been appropriate, but no, it it wasn't. It was uh, Annie Get Your Gun. Oh, yeah, oh yeah. yeah. And I, I could, feel like Damn Yankees, Annie Get Your Gun, and South Pacific. It's going to be one of those three in a <laughs> high school play. Yeah. You're right. You're yeah. right. Those are the, they're probably the most produced in high schools. But uh, yeah, I could sing a little bit, and I could sort of move. You know, so uh, yeah, I was in the chorus of, of Annie Get Your Gun," and I and that was a lot of fun. And I thought, well, you know, this is for me. So when I went on to college, I majored in theater. And then when I got to New York, I realized that the acting training I got in college really was kind of sketchy. So <laughs> so I started taking acting class at uh, HB Studios, mm. and then I, I'd start doing improv comedy. Uh, with a group, a couple of different groups, one called The Proposition uh, up in Boston, and then one in New York called War Babies. And I got seen by some agents, and and, uh, then I started getting, you know, scripted work. Uh And I did a lot of theater. And, uh, yeah, you've got some impressive credits. So, Torch Song Trilogy, yep. Crimes of the Heart. Yeah. These are Broadway productions, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, I originated the role on Broadway in uh, the role of Doc in Crimes of the Heart. I didn't realize that. Yeah, wow. yeah. It was, uh, that was a lot of fun. And I got to know the playwright, Beth Henley, who lives here in L.A., always has. Uh-huh. And, uh, and we're still friends. I, you know, I talk to her all the time, and she's over at our house and vice versa, and so yeah, that's, that turned out to be a real nice thing. And I had done 
places in the heart, the movie, and when I went into Torch Song, right across the street, Malkovich was doing uh, Death of a Salesman with Dustin Hoffman. Uh-huh. Wow. And uh, I used to run into him every, every once in a while after you know, when our shows would let out. And I'd say, oh, how, how's it going over there? Oh, it's going well. How, how are you doing? That's funny because he's come up recently twice on this show, uh-huh. one in a negative sense and one in a very positive <laughs> sense. So maybe you can break the tie. This, well, this seems like a friendly guy to you. And, or? Yes and no. <laughs> he's, oh, he's, it's still undecided. <laughs> no, he, he's a, an odd kind of guy. Uh, sometimes, and I still run into him here and there, and, and sometimes when I see him, he he acts like he's never met me before in his life. And sometimes he'll come up and like, give me a big hug and say, you know, how you doing, Ray? So, uh, he's very unpredictable. And, uh, but he's wow. basically, I think he's basically a nice guy. He's just... Three accounts of Malkovich and I'm no closer to the truth. <laughs> I know. So I've got to I, pursue I this. I don't know if anybody knows him. I mean, I, I... So then how did you transition into film and television? You know, the first movie role that I got, I went in because the casting director uh, asked me if I would come in and and read with people. I wasn't auditioning for the movie. I was just being a reader. And he wanted somebody who knew what he was doing to do that. So I I spent a whole day reading with other actors and actresses who came in auditioning for it. And at the end of the day, uh, he said, you know, Ray, there's a a small role in this movie. You want to do it? And I and I I was thrilled, of course, yeah. you know. And I said, "Yeah, well, where and when?" And it turned out the movie was a, a, a John Cassavetes movie oh, starring wow. Jenna Rollins, his oh. wife, and it was called Gloria. Uh-huh. And I had one little scene. I was a bank officer, and she was coming to try and get some money out of the bank because she was on the run from the mob and stuff. And it's. People remembered the scene because everywhere she turned, there were people who were connected who were after her. And it looked for just a moment in this scene like I might be in on the deal uh-huh. and I was out to get her. So it, it was a memorable scene, even though it was short. I mean, I don't think I only had like five lines. But that was my first major movie. That's not a bad first. It, not entry. a bad first, yeah. yeah, yeah. In fact, the next movie, I went right from a, a John Cassavetes movie to doing a Mike Nichols movie. Oh, my God. I was in Silkwood. I played, yes, that's uh, right. Yeah, I played her ex-husband. Yeah. And uh, kind of a badass guy but it was yeah it was a lot of fun are you aware that a silkwood shower is now an expression people use like when they feel gross about something they go i need to go take a silkwood shower oh no or you but just <laughs> kneel down and <laughs> you're right and they spray you yeah. oh yeah yeah no i didn't know that but that's a good, i'm gonna use that because <laughs> there are times when i could use a silkwood shower yeah <laughs> and the fact i remember in the movie because they hold her eyelids open yeah. and spray oh, yeah. oh man yeah, oh. yeah. <laughs> there's there's the silkwood shower in the um i think it's a big chill shower where glenn close just crouches down goes fetal and starts weeping is oh, that what yes. i'm thinking of yeah, yeah. that sounds so, right take your big pick. chill yeah <laughs> and then eventually i was making most of my money here in la doing movies and tv and uh my then wife and i had a child and uh we decided to we, we might as well just move here, uh-huh. try, try, rather than trying to be bi-coastal with the kid to raise. Is this stuff. Henry? Yeah. So Henry. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. You know Henry, yeah. Henry is the reason you are here, so shout out to Henry. Yeah. Thank you, Henry. Hey, Henry, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so then that brings us full circle here to Total Recall for a bit. Mm-hmm. How did you end up in that film? Was it just a straight-up audition? 
Yeah, and and that was another one where I I left the audition feeling pretty good because he's the character Bob McLean who I played is kind of a smarmy guy, yeah, you know, a real car salesman. This <laughs> yeah, guy. yeah, he yeah. really is. And uh, I could tell that Verhoeven liked me the way, when I did the reading, and so I felt good about it. But you never know. I mean, you can never predict these things. Uh, but that, yeah, that was it. It was just a straight up reading, and and uh, I think it just clicked immediately. And it was so easy for me to fall into that role that uh, it worked out. The thing that this isn't so much a question as it is a well a compliment in your performance. So the thing I love about it is that you are the smarmy car salesman. But in the very brief second when your character is introduced on that video screen, you are almost uh, stoic and detached. Like <laughs> you hate your life and your job, and you're saying, "What is it? What?" And then you realize there's a customer, and you snap right into salesman <laughs> mode. And it's my favorite thing about that character, and it gives him such weight, <laughs> knowing that he's really acting through this whole thing. <laughs> That's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, you do see me at my desk. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the interesting thing, too, is that your character pitches this trip to Schwarzenegger's character, and, and you say, by the time the trip is over, he'll get the girl, kill the bad guys, and save the entire planet. Mm-hmm. Which happens. Yes. And whether that's still a dream or not is left to the viewer, I guess. Yeah. But in your, you know, you were there too. <laughs> Do you think it was all real or was it a dream? Did you know, it... there, is, there is a tip-off early in oh. that movie Ooh, about it. what it is. And, uh, I mean, the movie's been around long enough now. It's not going to spoil it for anybody. No. But when they are interviewing him for the brain implant – Uh-huh. They're asking him what type of woman he's attracted oh, yeah. to, and they're showing slides just briefly on the wall, you know, that he's looking at. One of the slides is Rachel Ticketon. That's right, yeah. And most people don't notice that. It's just briefly as the camera pans away. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I saw that. So that, if that all happened in real life, if the interview and, the, and going into the room where they put the implant in, if that all happened in real life, then, and Rachel was up there on the wall at the, at the recall office, that means the whole thing was a dream. Because he saw that? Because he saw her picture before he went right, under. Right, It couldn't have been, that would have been a weird coincidence, or why would they do that in the first place if they're trying to fake him out? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, there you have it. That, that, at least that's my interpretation. That makes it. a lot of sense. You Movie know. myth dispelled. Yeah. <laughs> did, did Paul Verhoeven ever comment on that at all? Or No, not on that. He, I mean, as he would have to as a director, he and all of us as actors, we all played it as if it were really happening. I mean, there is the one scene where Roy Brocksmith comes and talks to Arnold and and says, wait, wait a minute, you, you think this is really happening? No, it's not. This is all part yeah. of the implant. And then Arnold notices that he's got a bead of sweat yeah. on his <laughs> yeah. and, and so he shoots him. <laughs> but no, we played it all for real. And Verhoeven, Verhoeven's great when it comes to uh, directing action sequences because he likes to act it all out. He's a very energetic guy. That doesn't surprise me because the performance he gets are so energetic and people are making noises <laughs> like Arnold noises that are <laughs> and, and what was the ADR room like in that no, no, yeah yeah and he does all that he all right, all right, Ray. What I want you to do is when he starts choking, you, you got to roll out. 
and then, and then, and then he catches himself and he laughs and goes, but uh, don't do it like I do it. <laughs> but a lot of people do end up doing it that oh, big. Yeah, yeah. yeah, of course. Oh, man. Do as I say, not as I do. As you were saying that, I just realized that your part and that whole scene is the first half of it is absolutely reality because he's going in to get that. Mm-hmm. But then when things go wrong, that's where you either have it continue as reality or the dream begins. And right. That's an interesting duality you might have to do in a scene. But I could see where you'd say you play it as real either way. Yeah. yeah. It's also an interesting work environment too when all of that goes wrong and you call – Renata a bitch and she's slapping the young worker and what a hostile work environment the HR mess that they'd have to go through it's true she she had to slap him so many times (laughs) and she and she didn't hold back either she's she's a well-known actress in Canada oh uh, wins a lot of awards does a lot of Shakespeare and classical theater but so yeah she hauled off and let him have in fact I think on the fifth or sixth take he's he said to her, look, could you just ease up a little bit because I'm getting lightheaded here. <laughs> uh, all right. So we're going to take a quick break and then we'll come back and talk about it, what it was like to work opposite Schwarzenegger. Uh, we're back with uh, Ray Baker from Total Recall, among many other things. So you've worked as a, as a theater actor and extensively in all sorts of genre of film, drama, and here you are with the world's biggest action star who has no serious acting training. So how was that? Did you have to draw on more? Was he giving you enough? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. he was. I mean, there. you know, I, I've, I studied acting and a lot of people do, and I'm glad I did. But there are people with talent for acting that come out of the woodwork. I mean, there are a lot of... Uh, former athletes who are really good natural actors, and well, you for one, you, <laughs> yeah. But I, I was no good as an athlete. <laughs> well, you chose wisely, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, these people can do both. But yeah, his 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 reality when he's when he's acting is really it's there. Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, he's partly, I suppose, because of the of the person that he is physically and the fact that he was a bodybuilder and all that so he doesn't have to fake it i mean he really he really i, I mean he's an older man now yeah. but in those days he probably could have beat up guys if he wanted to I'm sure yeah. yeah are you aware of this quote so this is from the internet so you can never exactly under you know know if it's real but arnold schwarzenegger took the part because he liked the idea of virtual travel the scene where a salesman sells him the trip he never took was one of schwarzenegger's favorite scenes in the movie oh yeah i didn't know that i'll take that compliment done yeah, given yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so how long were you down in mexico city i was only there for about three weeks oh. and and it was it was only supposed to be 10 days but they, there was a glitch technically uh, in the recall office. There's a little monitor where I'm showing him images from what his trip will be like. And the frames on the monitor didn't match the frames in the camera. Oh, yeah. That was shooting the scene. Yeah. So we had to go back and do the whole thing over again uh, after a couple of days. So we, you had shot it once and then all of that was wasted because of a computer screen. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So we went back and did it again. And. And Verhoeven was pissed. Yeah. Was, yeah. Did it, you feel like your performance was better the first or the second time? You know, I, I, it, it actually felt exactly the same. <laughs> I, I, uh, and, and partly because of Arnold, uh, how easily he 
portrays these people, it was it was uh, real easy. We fell right into it again. It was if it was as if we were just doing another take from the previous session. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Interesting. Yeah. And uh, did you get to go around Mexico City at all? I did, and I really am glad that I did. It's a fascinating place. Huge. Uh, New York has 8 million people. Mexico City has 18 million. Wow, I had no uh, idea. Yeah, and it's at altitude, too. A lot of the people in the cast and crew, when they first got there, were lightheaded. Yeah, I'd yeah. read that there were some other sicknesses due to water and food as well. Oh, too. yeah, did, I got sick. You did? Everybody, it's funny, everybody got sick except for Arnold. Because he brings his own food, doesn't Yep, he? Yeah. he sure does, and his own chef. Oh, jeez. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I got to get one of those for podcasts. Yeah, yeah. Jeez. Yeah, yeah. So he was great. Yeah. But I, I, I got sick, I think, the last day that I was there, so it didn't interfere with anything. But when I got back to L.A., I was... That was kind of queasy for a couple of days. <laughs> now, did you get to go to the premiere at all? No, I don't think I did, come to think of it. I think I just went and paid my 10 bucks or whatever it was to see it in the movie theater. I, I, I don't recall any premiere that I was invited to. And it may have been because I was working on something else yeah. at the time. I hope that was the, <laughs> <laughs> that was the reason. <laughs> what was your impression of the film when you saw it? Oh, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. You know, it's... It's strange because I don't often enjoy watching myself in a movie uh, because you're always, at least I am always thinking, ah, yeah, that that moment seemed a little pushed or that was kind of false. But I I was okay with my performance in it. And so, and and plus, that's just the first part of the movie. And then the action really begins after that. So, yeah, yeah, I I had a good time. Well, you're really the linchpin that sends him on the journey there. Yeah, it's true. It is a pivotal role. When they they did the remake, uh, John Cho played my role. That's right. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. Have you seen that? Yeah, I saw it. I have yet to see it. I feel like I might watch it today. Yeah, it's a fun movie. Yeah. It, it's, I don't think it's as good as the original, but then yeah. I wouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't think you're alone. That was a classic Arnold film. I mean, that's the height of his popularity. All right. Uh, we're we're going to go through some of your other roles here. I'm just going to name some films. And if uh, anything strikes you that is worth mentioning, let me know, because you've got a wonderful little list here. Okay. All right. I want to start with something early on. Uh-huh. A television show that I used to watch and love, 21 Jump Street. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was great. I got to go to Vancouver. Yeah. And it was a crossover episode. With Booker, right? With Booker, yes. yes. Another show I used to watch. <laughs> I saw right. that on your credits, and I'm wondering how that happened. Yeah, yeah. I was a, a a bad guy modeled after um, Malcolm, uh, the, the guy who rides motorcycles and publishes the business magazine. I can't remember his name. Anyway, uh, it was sort of modeled on him. And I'm a guy who goes out and rides motorcycles and stuff. And uh, But I'm, I'm evil and villainous. Oh. And I start out on Booker. And at the end of the Booker episode, I get away. And the director of that episode said, wow, I, I rarely get to direct a TV episode where the bad guy actually skips and, uh-huh. and he doesn't get caught by Booker. So then they pick up my character on 21 Jump Street, <laughs> and they finally nail me. So is that and, the same uh, week's episode, basically? Are they airing concurrently, or were they spread apart? You know, I can't remember. I th- it seems to me they probably did one one week, and then the following week they okay. followed up. But and, I don't know. So the, those of you that may not know this, and you probably wouldn't, but 
Booker was a spin-off of 21 Jump Street, so Richard Grieco got his own show, and he was originally brought on 21 Jump Street as kind of a rival for Johnny Depp, I yep. think. Yep. Or maybe Johnny Depp was on his way out and they needed some insurance policy or something. Oh, that could be. They may have been having contract talks with Johnny. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So it is. how do they get you on 21 Jump Street? They finally, uh, I forget the mechanics of the plot, but it is Johnny Depp who finally puts the, puts the cuffs on me and <laughs> Leads me into the jail cell. And, uh, yeah, he was very nice. I mean, he was a real young man then, and, and uh, he was he was a pleasure, and I've been a fan of his ever since. And you've worked with him again, correct, in Ed Wood, right? Do you play the That's doctor? That's right, of course, yeah. yeah. In fact, I think I, I think I forgot to even mention that to him <laughs> when we were doing Ed Wood, yeah. Uh, yeah. Rain Man, you play Mr. Kelso. Right, right. Um, that, that was... A strange movie. Dustin Hoffman is, at least on that movie, he was in character all the time. No kidding. So between takes, it was you couldn't talk to him because he was doing that patter that uh-huh. uh, that the, the guy does, and uh, you know you, you'd say, hey, hey, Dustin, where are we, where are you, you know where, when do we break for lunch or something? Are you a diehard Cubs fan? Are you a diehard Cubs fan? Because I'm a diehard Cubs fan. I mean, he would just go off on these tangents. And there was a there was a guy, a young man on the set who had that disability, and so and he was always and Dustin was always around him so he could see watch the behavior. Was he brought on set as just sort of an inspiration, or was he in the film? I think they gave him a role in the film, oh. but he was there the. The screenwriter, I think, knew him and modeled the character after him. Let's see, yeah. uh, Silverado. Yeah, that w- that was a great experience. I I mean, well, you know, you get to ride a horse and shoot a gun. I was just I mean, going to say yeah, I mean, that's yeah. a, every young man's dream. Yeah, it yeah. doesn't get much better than that. Yeah. And uh, and we shot it in, in and around Santa Fe, which is one of my favorite parts of the country. And Henry was born in Santa Fe. Uh, during the shoot? Yeah, while I was doing Silverado. So your wife was out there with you? Yep. And, oh, wow. Yeah, she was pregnant, and we and the baby was due, and we knew I was going to be in New Mexico for a while. So she came with me, and we found a pediatrician and an obstetrician in, in Santa Fe, and he was born in St. Vincent's Hospital in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Were you able to be there for the birth, or were you shooting? Yes, I was. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, had the day, I, I was not working that day. It just happened, uh, you, you know, that way. And then, in fact, I heard later that they made an announcement on the set at lunchtime that my baby, that our baby had been born, and got a big round of applause from everybody. Wow, this begs the question, if you were working that day, would they have let you go? Oh, yeah. You think, oh, that's yeah, nice. Yeah. yeah, it was It was a big enough cast, and there was enough stuff to shoot. Uh-huh. Uh, and it was, there were, there were some difficulties with the weather. It, we, we started there around Christmas time, and then I was there until March. But, but God. Some some days it would take for there's one shot where Danny Glover's just pops out from behind a chimney and shoots a rifle a couple times. That w- that was it, a very simple shot. One tiny little thing after or there'd be a, a hair in the lens, you know. Uh-huh. The, and so at one point the A D looking at, at like take fifteen or eighteen, he looked at me and he said, This is the most difficult shot in any movie ever. <laughs> 
<laughs> worse than the touch of evil one take opening. Oh yeah, like, yes, geez. that's right. Yeah. Wow. Um the Cosby show. Uh-huh. How was that? Oh. That, <laughs> well, this was before all of sure. Bill Cosby's troubles, of course, and he was much beloved. It it was it was actually kind of tough. And I've and I've heard this from other actors who worked on the show. Because he's very improvisational, and he'll change the lines on you with no notice or anything, and he expects you to keep up, and, uh-huh. and it's not always easy to do that. Really? Yeah. And the director, if if the scene doesn't go right, Bill doesn't get the blame. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's got to be difficult. Yeah. I mean, it worked out fine. It wasn't like, I mean, this is... Sort of a quibble more than an actual complaint, uh-huh. but uh, yeah, that, that was. Uh, so we talked a little bit about Silkwood, but what was it like working with Meryl Streep? Uh, she was a honey. She was she was really sweet, and everybody liked her, and and she was on the rise, you know. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah, she got along with everybody, and she and, and Cher became buddies, and yeah, she was just real easy and self assured. I mean, that was. That was the thing too. She was young, and and this was one of her first movie roles. But she was so confident and just put it all out there. Yeah, she seems to be the full package. Just the talent and the personality and everything. I've never even been in probably this within a hundred miles of her <laughs> or ten miles of her. But she just seems amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then finally, this is a horror film from the eighties, a cult classic that I have to ask you about. Chud. Oh, Chud. Cannibalistic humanoid underground <laughs> dwellers. dwellers. Yeah. <laughs> I remember this film. And uh, <laughs> what was that experience like? Well, it was, it was written and, and directed. No, he didn't direct it. A, a friend of mine, Doug Cheek, wrote it. And I, I have no idea how they got it produced, but it was done, <laughs> it was done on a shoestring budget. But he knew a lot of actors. Uh-huh. And so we all did it for minimum, you know. And I, actually, I'm not in the movie at all. You're, I'm not in the finished product. Really? And then I still got a screen credit at the end because there was a scene that I was in. But it, it ended up on the cutting room floor. So I was trying to remember where and when you were in there. So that makes more sense. Yeah, yeah. Okay. No, you, ne- you never see me. Uh, but it was, it was a fun set because we all knew each other. We were friends. We, guys that I used to play cards with and stuff. And, uh, and, uh, so it was fun. And uh, <laughs> that, the, the creature itself was kind of interesting. Uh-huh. And then there's one scene where, where somebody cuts the head off of one of the chuds, and this green glop <laughs> comes oozing out of its, its neck. Whew. And, they, you know, they made a, a chud, too. Yeah, at least another one, if not more. <laughs> it's know. probably still going. I don't... <laughs> Ray, thank you so much for joining me today. It's oh. been a delight to talk to you. Well, it's really been fun for me. Thank you for having me, and I'm glad Henry hooked us up. Thank you, Henry. Thanks again, Ray. Thanks again, Henry, for hooking us up. And thanks again, you, for listening. But you're only halfway there. Now it's time for a new segment of I Was There Tune and the unveiling of a very special project I did with James Bladen. Join us as we ramble on about it. And hopefully, you might be involved. And after you've listened, you can find out more on the website page for this very episode on wolfpop.com. I Was There Tune. 
I'm here with James Jimmy the Blades Bladen, who is my boon companion, my musical partner, and my really good friend. James, thanks for being here in your own home. Thank you, Matt. It's great to be in my own home here with you. Uh, I consider you my boon companion as well as confidant. Oh, confidant was a word used in the Golden Girls theme song, which is really a ham-fisted segue for me to talk about a project we've been working on for the better part of a year whenever we have a night or something to just mess around. It's called Stay Tuned Volume 1. James, what can you tell us about this? Well, Matt, I'm very excited to release Stay Tuned. <laughs> oh, you got to get the Liquid U, and if you're a past listener to this show, he's a big uh, proponent of the Liquid U. I am not. Matt, my fans expect it now. I understand. I cannot let them down. I was classically trained in the Shakespearean tradition. I was neoclassically trained in the podcast tradition. I think people want to be feel as though they're being spoken down to. <laughs> <laughs> but this is, I'll say, this is tangentially uh, uh, have to do with, with I Was There Too, because we uh, worked on the theme song that we've, we've probably already heard here. Yeah, at the beginning of this episode, James and I sort of... You wrote it. But you floated it. I wrote it, you floated it. Mm -hmm. You produced it. But you can't underestimate the the Bladen touch, or the Bladen cream, as we call it here at the household. (laughs) Uh, There's something about the way that this guy works that's just... It's truly magical. Liquid use aside. Let me just preface that by saying that's absolutely true. So let's talk about this project. Yes. We've written six songs. They are theme songs to shows that do not exist. But they could have existed. They could have existed. We've, right. we've written them to start from in the 60s all the way through the 90s. And the, our idea was to write these songs. These theme songs are all about a minute long. Write them because we love them. We love the art. It's a lost art, right? You don't get it anymore. We, yeah, we love just writing these. And then we thought, hey, what can we do with them? What we wanted to do is put, a, put them on the out there to the listeners, and hopefully some of the creative people out there would take the song and create a video that would serve as the main title for the song. That's right. We've created the audio. If you're so inclined, we would love you to shoot a 60-second opening title sequence. You don't have to shoot the whole episode, the whole pilot. No. Just what the 60-second credit sequence would be like for these films. And if you go to mattgorley.tumblr.com, you can get all of these songs. You can get all of the information and the details on submitting. And that's where we'll feature probably all of those, unless someone turns in one that's just a snuff film. <laughs> and we'll just watch that privately. That'll be private. Yeah. That'll, yeah. That'll keep that private. But... Label it Blade and Cream. <laughs> yeah. So uh, the idea is that we will, we will post these videos, right? Yes. Okay. And I mean, the other thing is we did this just for fun. There's no money involved. There's no, yeah. there's no favors change in hands here. You just do this for the love of the game. We're putting it out there. Yeah. You give it in here. <laughs> <laughs> so we've done six of these. Yeah. This is the first one we wrote and recorded. It's called Badger and the Bell. Mm-hmm. And it's basically a Dukes of Hazard thing mixed with a sort of Hardcastle McCormick heart to heart man right. and wife. They're both bootleggers, but he's a northerner and she's a southerner, and they're an unlikely couple, and they're running booze through Clark County, but the religious deacon who runs the town tries to 
tries to make them out to be bad guys because they're running booze, but secretly he wants to control all the booze running. Them, they live in a dry county, right? Yeah. And somehow, we're just talking freeform, and I think we explain it better in the song itself. As it should be. And the key to a good theme song, I think, is like a classic theme song, is you got to get that exposition out there. But you've also, you got you to gotta make it fun. Yep. And you got to make it a great tune. It's got to have pizzazz. You didn't it's- even notice my liquid you. I did, but well, I don't want to respond to it because I want you to think that that's, that's <laughs> business as usual. If I'm shocked, then that will make you feel uncomfortable. I understand. But like, uh, uh, you know, the shows, they used to do more of that kind of what we would call a saga cell. Yeah. Like, like Gilligan's Island that's is That's the classic. classic one. Right. That's all exposition, right? Tell us the story. And that song changes key every line. It keeps modulating up, right? It's crazy. Yeah. And that adds tension. We didn't do any of that shit. No. We couldn't think of that. But... This does set up the story of, of that you're going to see every week. And uh, let's, let's play it. Yeah, here we go. This is called Badger and the Bell. He's a Cincinnati smuggler. She's a Carolina queen. The most unlikely duo that you've ever seen. He met her running barley off of Highway 17. She was booked, and bourbon from a limousine. Well, old Deacon Daniel's got his fingers in the pie. He'll drink his fill and cheat until he drains Clark County dry. Unless the badger and the bell, they keep it flowing down the line. It's thirsty worth this living, but the living's fine. Let's drink a toast to whiskey and raise a glass to wine. Cause badger and the bell deliver every time. I'd watch that show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bad. Real odd couple, these two. Yeah, exactly. How do they even get along? Sexual tension. I, I, don't, I don't think it's possible. Badger is, is a real uh, down-to-earth kind of like, you know, he was raised on the road trucking, and, and, uh, and Belle has lived a life of privilege. Mm-hmm. I don't know exactly what brought her to bootleg. <laughs> <laughs> Are you saying that somehow I stumbled upon a, a sort of catchy half-baked idea and then we just fleshed it out without any real thinking not at all it's also worth noting that those are almost exactly the same chords to the i was there too theme song are they (laughs) the beginning is g a minor c i got a i got a real soft spot for those chords but they don't sound similar this these two things uh we changed it a little bit that's right because it wasn't necessarily supposed to be a country and that's the blade and cream that i'm talking about thank you all right that's monday night now on to tuesday night we're talking nbc Maybe even must-see TV. Oh, yeah. This one is a purely Jimmy Blades composition. Oh, now, let's not do that. Well, I think it needs to be singled out here because I think this is a great song. Okay. Well, let's just say, for the record, we're both kind of Lennon and McCartneying this this thing. Yeah, we are in their league, for sure. (laughs) Maybe not quality-wise, but in terms of credit-wise. Badger and the Bell was your thing that you brought in. Yeah, Let's but just... that's not why I'm saying this. I'm okay. saying this because I think when you hear this, you're going to say this is a special song. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you, Matt. But I hope it, we're not overselling it now that people are going to be disappointed. I don't think they will. I think okay. it lives up to it. So this is this one is called Outside Looking In, mm-hmm. and it's it's sort of in the style of uh, family ties, mm-hmm. your groin pains. But there's a catch. The catch is this is a couple who were just ready to love each other. The only uh, twist on this one is that this couple, uh, are they're blind. 
Right. They cannot see. And that's not to say that they can't love each other, but they've got to make their way in the world today. Well, love is blind. That's right. Oh, man, the themes. This one is the richest one. And what else do we know about this couple? They've got to deal with that, and some certain comedic situations as a sitcom would arise out of that in the 80s, as you would imagine a show like that might do. It would um, certainly set them up to be the heroes of the piece, while at the same time there would probably be some lapses in political correctness. Yeah. And we should also mention that this is a duet sung by James... And our good friend Robin Roth, who will appear on another one later, and she's just fantastic. She's such a great singer. This is probably also, for those of you considering making one of these submissions, probably the easiest one to do resource-wise, right? Sometimes life has got a way of kicking you when you're down. It takes a little bit of all you've got to get up off the ground. ready to love man i love that song so should we move on to the third one let's do it this is the action centerpiece here the tentpole this one is called stingray i think there even was an nbc show called stingray and there was an old i think it was a either a cartoon or a a sort of a marionette yeah a jerry anderson type show that was called stingray was it stingray that was an acronym that's the gorley bladen difference since you were very instrumental in coming up with the with the acronym what maybe you can rattle it off well the way i like to imagine this show happening is that there's a people inventing a tactical military luxury yacht <laughs> and they were simply listing the attributes it has and it just happened to spell sting right yes so it's seaborne tactical intercontinental nautical grade rudderless aquatic yacht aquatic yacht uh this is really just the a team on water now this one more than anything it's it's probably tough to do live action god knows i applaud it if you've got a luxury yacht go for it yeah but it could be animated it could certainly be thunderbird style like marionettes miniatures style. Yeah. yeah whatever you guys want to do this was one that really benefited from the blade and cream as well. <laughs> I think this was, you were a little reluctant with this one at first because it was. was just on acoustic guitar. And I was like, yeah, but imagine it on everything. <laughs> imagine every instrument playing this. And I, yeah. And that's pretty much, that's what, pretty we much what it is. We <laughs> threw almost everything at it. Here we go. Stingray. 
the funnest thing about that for me is I'm not a guitar player, but when you play that 80s style guitar, it's almost like it doesn't require a lot, at least the way I, I imagine it, it doesn't require a lot of notes. You can play slowly. Right. Yeah. It's all over that effect. It's that big, super echoey effect that I just love. I love playing that. Um, yeah, you're the Phil Spector of shitty music. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> is he is he known for playing all the instruments? No, but he's known for just his wall of sound, like knowing oh. how to produce things to make them sound a certain way. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. And he's known for other things, right? Oh, yeah, murder. Right. <laughs> Uh, anyway, uh, now on to the next one. Yeah. Now, probably set in the early 90s, just because we're trying to span some time here, but this is very heavily related to ALF. ALF. Yeah, where you would have some sort of fish-out-of-water creature living with an everyday suburban family. Gnome, sweet gnome. In this case, it's a garden gnome. It's a garden gnome. Um, he's He's come to life? Well, as... Icelandic lore has it in my mind. Whatever house a garden gnome is placed in front of, they're charged with protecting that family for eternity. Okay. Why am I not writing features? <laughs> um, so everybody that has a garden gnome in front of their house is actually being protected by that being. Mm. Although this family happens to get a real loafer and sponger and party animal of a of a gnome, right? And uh, he's not doing it. He's not pulling his weight. In other words, no, no. But uh, we brought in the vocal talents of Paul F. Tompkins to voice. Um, uh, what is his name? Uh, oh, it's Barney, but it's spelled B J A R N I. Bjarni. Bjarni. Oh, there's you. Somehow get a liquid you in there too. Mm-hmm. Here we go. Just a garden gnome Bound by providence to guard the home At 18 New Haven Drive And all the mortals that reside inside But most days I'm keeping cool by the family pool Kick it up my heels Even hunger feels Oh, life's a breeze I got it good. Because the I'm known. Sweet gnome. Nice job, Matt, on that. Thank you. You know, can I tell you who I feel sorry for? Who? I feel sorry for the real people who live at 18 New Haven Drive. Oh, because they're going to get... They're going to be inundated with looky-loos. Yeah, you're right. They're never going to get a moment's rest. Oh, man, I didn't even think about that. I should have made Should have cleared that address. Five, five, five. That's right. Um, we should also mention that your wife sings back up on that along with Robin Roth again, who helped us out immensely. But yeah, that's a, that's a fun little show. Like uh, It appeals to the youth, but the adults get it. Yeah, and I think if you were to be interested in taking a pass at the video for that, you could get away with a puppet for that. Absolutely. You know, this one is real doable, too. No one's going to do Badger and the Bell, are they? That's just the production value is too heavy. Well, now you see, you're challenging them, so now they will. I know what I'm doing. It's, uh, yeah, that's a tough one, but I think Stingray's tough. But that one you can animate or do miniature style, I think. Yeah, that, yeah that's true. You don't have the balls to do Badger oh. and the Bell. I would be real surprised if someone was that creative. (laughs) 
<laughs> I would be surprised and impressed. Yeah. Um, okay. On okay. to the next one. Yeah. Now we get uh, diverse in these last two. Yeah. We get a little cultural. We do. We get a little social commentary, right? That's right. So next up, we have Halfway Home. Mm-hmm. The idea behind this is it's a show that's a la maybe um, Barney Miller, Good Times. Well, yeah, a little Good Times. It's an urban show about uh, sort of working class struggling ex-cons trying to get back on their feet. Right. So they, they're fresh out of jail. They go to a halfway house, which is a place that uh, ex-cons would go to help them assimilate back into society. Yeah. It's a sitcom, though, set mm-hmm. in a halfway house. So you've got a whole variety of, of fun characters. All You've got some petty criminals, and then you've got murderers. Yeah, which wasn't the original plan, but then we... Did a final pass on the lyrics and made him a murderer, <laughs> or at least convicted for murder. Yeah, it was seeming almost too legit for it straight. <laughs> That's and right. So we made him a, a double murderer, <laughs> or at least he was at least convicted of double murder. And that's our star. Now, Robin Roth takes the lead vocals on this again, and boy, does she bring it. Yeah, I'm a big fan of gospel music and those theme songs of like uh, um, the Jeffersons, um, Good Times. Maud had a very, you know, soulful kind of gospel uh, main title. And I'm a big fan of those. And so I wanted to do something like that. So uh, here is uh, Halfway Home. We should point out that Robin's all doing all the singing there. She's doing all the backup vocals. Yeah, as well. all at once. She can Tibetan throat sing, but gospel. Mm-hmm. Now to the last one. Now this was uh, this was something from the beginning that I wanted to get in there because I have this one of my favorite sitcoms of all time is Alice. I have such a fondness for. Uh, that and one day at a time and for some reason like single moms making it on their own or something because my parents divorced at an early age and I have a wonderful relationship with my dad and he was always in my life but I lived with my mom and my sister and she was working and you know right we would eat fast food a lot when I was growing up and you know she's just trying to to, to make it work you know and it, it wasn't like a dire circumstance but it was something I was aware of and when I watched Alice it was. It meant that I was staying home from school because it would run at like nine a.m. in syndication, and so I associate all these wonderful things with it. Right. Plus, I love the song, and so originally I thought, oh, let's write some kind of jazzy single woman song, but it ended up turning out to be more folky and specifically more seventies folk. Uh, and the basic concept is that this 
main character, she's married and her husband leaves her for another woman. And so she's got to go find a job in the city. And it turns out she ends up working for her husband's new wife. Mm. Jesus. That's Christ. a great twist, Matt. Uh, this is, yeah. let me just embarrass this man right now. This is the gorly genius all over this song. You wrote this and uh, came up with everything. And uh, it's just, um, I think this is a beautiful song, actually. Oh, I think you did a great great job and and uh this is a show like they said there were a lot of shows like this it's very viable as a show yeah because you had one day at a time one day at a time Maud, mary tyler moore rhoda angie alice yeah did any of them have dead husbands or were they all divorced Didn't, was Maud's husband she was married though Maud. oh but, that's right yeah wow well, yeah yeah i don't uh oh I don't she was, had an abortion that was the big deal on that show yeah what happened to ms romano's husband he he was around, time. wasn't he? I think because he would, or he was a deadbeat. I thought he would come around and be kind That's of a Schneider. You're thinking of? No, he was no deadbeat. He was a denim vested wearing motherfucker. <laughs> I it's true. I used to, no shit. I used to dress up as Schneider as a kid, not even for <laughs> Halloween. I'd go get in. I had that outfit for some reason, and I'd go get in it and I'd go look, Mom, I'm Schneider. <laughs> so. But I also dressed up like Farrah Fawcett in one of those posters once. No. Yeah, but I think it's a joke. Well, we'll find out. We're not out. sure? I don't know. When do you Wait find out if that's a joke? Wait a second. We'll find out. Well, how, first of all, where did you get the, because uh, yeah, that's an iconic, really hot poster. Where did you get, like, My the dad swimsuit? had it, but then he hung it, or someone hung it in the closet. And so I'd just go in the closet sometimes. <laughs> but wasn't she wearing cowboy boots and a bathing suit? No. No, she's just wearing a red swimsuit. Oh, then I didn't. It's very attractive. Yeah, I would wear bathing trunks and cowboy boots, and I think I thought I was a model. (laughs) This was when I was very young. I was 29. (laughs) You know how to bastardize your own memories? I don't know what I was thinking. See, that poster, though, I don't know how you can bastardize that because I... That was image was burned into my head. I did. There, I don't know how you could glance at it and get it wrong. Well, because I was always seeing it from a really low, dark angle <laughs> in a closet. It was in a closet. <laughs> okay, okay. Then I could see where the <laughs> cowboy boots were this, maybe hanging near it. This stupid thing about theme songs has turned out to be more than I've ever wanted to reveal about my life. Well, just getting back to your Schneider thing, what was? Did you think he was so funny that you wanted God, to be like he was, him? He was great. Yeah. He was the comic. It didn't matter if they were funny. If someone was the comic relief. Yeah. Like, forget it. I was, Jack Tripper was my hero. He was great. Yeah. But anyway, this one has a twist that I, that I like is that she has to work. She's got no other choice. She's got to work for her husband's new wife. That's right. And it's called The Better Half. To death do you part. Unless in your heart you know better You know better of being his better half Now he's got a new wife And he got a new life in the city What a pity your boss is his new better half But the best of your day behind you Life is just a step down the right path A nice warm bubble bath 
That's it. There you go. That's all six of Stay Tuned Volume 1 theme songs. Yeah. And then you can find out all of the information you need to know at the Tumblr page, mattgorley.tumblr.com. There'll be a link to the songs for download and for uh, submission details. And if you don't want to make a video, just download the songs and listen to them at your leisure. That's right. They're free for you. Yeah. We're just putting them out there. This is how you get to heaven, right? It's by doing good deeds. Thank you, Jimmy Blades. Thank you, Matt. It's been a pleasure working on this project with you. And I look forward to volume two in 2019. I was their tune. That's it. Thanks for getting through that. You can find out more details at macorley.tumblr.com or simply visit this episode's page on wolfpop.com. As ever, you can find me on Twitter at MacOrley or at I was there too. A generous listener procured that handle and sent it over to me. I don't know exactly what I'll do with it yet. I have a Twitter account for every podcast I do, and as you can imagine, I don't even really get to them much. So f- why not follow? <laughs> I'm on Instagram and also Letterboxd, where I keep a list of the films that uh, I'm watching to interview people for this show, and you can get a sneak preview there. If you have a guest that you can hook me up with, maybe wait and save it for early next year, because this fella's taking a little break. There are still two more episodes coming this year, and then we're going to rerun some classic episodes that will be free and not put behind the paywall of Howl FM. And then I will be back early in 2016 with a whole revitalized look at the people present in the great scenes of cinema history. Thank you for making this a wonderful year of uh, I Was There Too episodes. It's been a great pleasure. We're not done yet, though. So why am I doing this? Good night. Pop. Pop? Pop. Wolf Pop is part of Midroll Media, executive produced by Adam Sachs, Matt Gorley, and Paul Shear. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.